Good morning. The United Nations acknowledges a peace mission. Russia is to be billed for reparations. Biden meets Xi. The future of the United States and China. McConnell on the midterms. Cheney on Trump. And anti-vaxxers gain in New York. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Tuesday morning, November 15th, 2022. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres admitted today there was a high-level meeting between U.S. and Russian officials in Ankara, Turkey. There are reports of talks taking place between the U.S. and Russia in Ankara. Can you tell us more? Is the U.N. involved? In relation to the second question, the UN is not involved. Uh, I think it's very positive that the US and Russia have uh, talks uh, because uh, that is uh, an extremely relevant development in relation to the future, but we are not involved. According to the United States National Security Council, CIA Director Bill Burns met with his Russian intelligence counterpart as part of what was called an ongoing effort by the U.S. to communicate with Russia on managing risk and to discuss the case of unjustly detained U.S. citizens. The NSC insisted Burns is not negotiating a settlement in the war, but conveying a message on the consequences of the use of nuclear weapons by Russia and the fate of U.S. citizens detained by Russia. The United States has repeatedly said there are no signs the Kremlin has taken any steps to use nuclear weapons. Russian officials have alleged without evidence Ukraine is preparing to use a dirty bomb, a device intended to spread deadly radioactive fallout. Ukraine has denied the allegations. And the United Nations General Assembly approved a resolution on Monday calling for Russia to be held accountable for violating international law by invading Ukraine. The resolution recommended Russia pay reparations for the damage and loss of life during the war. The result of the vote is as follows. In favor, 94. Against, 14. Abstentions, 73. Draft resolution A-ES-11-L6 is adopted. The result of the vote is as follows. In favor, 94. Against, 14. Abstentions, 73. Draft resolution A-ES-11-L6 is adopted. Fourteen countries voted against the resolution, including Russia, China, and Iran, while 73 abstained, including Brazil, India, and South Africa. The resolution calls to establish an international mechanism for reparation for damage, loss, or injury, recommending the General Assembly create an international register to document claims against Russia. Kiev's ambassador to the UN told the General Assembly before the vote that Russia has evaded responsibility by using its veto power in the Security Council and that it's time for the Assembly, whose resolutions cannot be vetoed, to act. Russia prefers impunity to accountability, and when it comes to the process at the Security Council, it only knows two things, lies and veto. And yet we will hear from Russia very soon that the General Assembly is not competent to address a matter like this. It will be yet another lie, yet another attempt to diminish and subvert this body of the United Nations, yet another attempt to tell you that you do not matter, and that yet again 
will be nothing new. The UN ambassador accused Russian forces of targeting everything from factories to residential buildings and hospitals. In response, Russia's UN ambassador Vasily Nebensia told the General Assembly before the vote that the provisions of the resolution are legally null and void as he urged countries to vote against it. The resolution followed Russia's withdrawal from the city of Kherson after months of occupation. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky traveled to the southeastern city on Monday and accused Russian forces of war crimes throughout the region. And President Biden and China's President Xi Jinping met in person for the first time as national leaders on Monday. The two leaders greeted each other like old friends, setting a warmer tone than recent rhetoric over U.S. relations with Taiwan. Biden promised the U.S. will continue to follow its one-China policy. Our one-China policy has not changed, has not changed. We oppose unilateral change in the status quo by either side, and we're committed to maintaining the peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits. Looking ahead at the G20 meetings tomorrow, we're going to be talking, t- taking on the very issues that matter to the people's lives, not only here, but uh, also, uh, also our allies and our partners. That means tackling the suffering that Russia aggression has unleashed, not just in Ukraine people, but the people around the world, particularly food insecurity, and strengthening the fundamentals of our global economy for everyone. In a statement, President Xi said China and the United States should find the correct approach to better relations. Currently, the China-U.S. relationship is in such a situation that we all care a lot about it because this is not the fundamental interest of our two countries and peoples and it is not what the international community expects us. In our meeting today, I'm ready to have a candid as we always did, have a candid and in-depth exchange of views with you on issues of strategic importance in China-U.S. relations and on major global and regional issues. I look forward to working with you, Mr. President, to bring China-U.S. relations back to the track of healthy and stable growth to the benefit of our two countries and the world as a whole. Thank you. Biden and Xi have met in person several times before each rose to lead their respective country. China firmly believes Taiwan is part of China, while the island's leaders say they are a separate society with its own democracy incompatible with China's authoritarian rule. The author of The China Mirage, The Hidden History of American Disaster in Asia, is James Bradley. He's also author of the best-selling Flags of Our Fathers and numerous other books on America's interactions with Asia. He spoke with the news from Vietnam. He says the U.S. experience with China is similar to recent attempts to build relations with Vietnam. Talk and no action. Vietnamese will have tea with anybody and smile and uh, you walk away and nothing happened. You know, the Obama administration came to Vietnam often thinking they were going to get landing rights in Cameron Bay for the U.S. Navy and people ate noodles with Obama and drank tea and were very polite, but not much happened. And if you look at the Biden's Xi meeting, It was polite. The flowers were there. Everyone had masks on. They talked a good game. But what's the bottom line? Biden said the biggest takeaway was that they agreed to cooperate on climate change. Well, I wonder if during the three hours of the meeting, how many coal plants China had built. It's just a bunch of talk. I, I didn't see what had happened. 
China's not on the brink of invading Taiwan. I didn't see any, I don't want to say any progress, but there really wasn't anything on the plate, anything big. It's a big news item that they meet, but that's about it. That's about all that happened is that there was a photo opportunity. Right. It would make uh, D-Day look like a hop, skip, and a jump. Nobody's invading anything right away. The U.S. isn't going to defend it either. It's They'll have a nuclear war over it before they actually fight for the beaches, it seems. It's just too far away. The only way you could fight over Taiwan, you know, first of all, the Chinese Navy is built for the U.S. Navy to come and defend Taiwan. If we sent out aircraft carrier groups, they'd be sunk immediately. The U.S. Navy knows that. There's no technology. As soon as we put troops on Taiwan, there'd be immediate war, and China's right next door. So we would have 6,000-mile-long supply lines, and China would... You know, I lived in the islands between uh, China and Taiwan. You can almost see China from some of these islands. I mean, you can see hazy building. So it's not that far away from China. And they're not going to invade. All of Asia would be looking down on China if there was a military operation, if thousands died. China's looking for the peaceful reunification. Why is the U.S. so determined to protect a Gomendang base where the Gomendang was involved in drug dealing like that makes the Colombian drug lords look like uh, street dealers? Well, the CIA made a lot of money off of that drug dealing, number one. We ran Air America, the drug dealing airline, out of Taiwan. A lot of our Vietnam operations were run out of Taiwan. We were able to have our anti-Chinese operations out of Taiwan. So Taiwan was an unsinkable aircraft carrier for us to be attacking Vietnam and China. But what are we doing there right now? We're selling arms. The same thing we're doing in Ukraine. We say the money's going to Ukraine, the money's going to Taiwan, but it's going across the street to Raytheon or Lockheed. The American public, you can still jangle them about the invasion, imminent invasion of Taiwan and aggressive China. So there's a $5 billion arms sale, $6 billion arms sale. It's extremely profitable. If you look at the political parties, the country's kind of split down the middle about reunification. People joke that China could sh shut off the visas of all of Taiwan's billionaires, and they go broke and have to reunite. In other words, there is a reunification, economic reunification, already taking place between Taiwan and China. But the political, let's say, argument is stoked by American money. It's very profitable to request American arms and have this supposed fight going on. A lot of wars that nobody thought would be huge wars started with just simple rivalries that got out of control. I think President Biden referred to that today. Sometimes it gets ugly. If you look at the American press, it's, I mean, Putin and Xi, those are the two big bad guys. Something else is happening. Xi went down to Saudi Arabia. I think that's more important than the Biden-Xi meeting. Saudi Arabia is the basis of the United States petrodollar. Xi went down to Saudi Arabia. They're talking nice. There's an economic story here with Xi and Putin and the BRICS. 
cooking up a new currency. I think that is a much bigger story than any military story that's going on. If the U.S. is hoping for some internal collapse of evil communism, that's not coming anytime soon. That's not coming. But what is Xi worried about? Why did they give so much power to Xi? It's because they're worried about economic problems within the real estate problem, the overbuilding, the overlending, the insolvency of the banks, the same problems that Europe has. That's what Xi and the Communist Party is worried about, is internal economic disorder. That's always a disaster for the ruling emperor. Well, they want to be capitalist. By any definition of communism I've ever read, they don't come close to it. No. I'm in Vietnam. You know, they have a communist name, and it's as capitalistic as you can imagine. So eventually, the capitalist problems of uh, interest rates and supply and demand and bubbles being blown, I mean, that, you, it's just a matter of time before you, if you're a capitalist country, before you have what we are so familiar with in the United States. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> the the real news, the real concern for the Communist Party is internal economics. James Bradley is author of The China Mirage, The Hidden History of American Disaster in Asia. You're listening to the news. I'm Paul Durienzo in New York. Republicans were close to retaking control of the House. Just one more seat is necessary to achieve 218 seats the party needs to secure that majority. Democrats have already won control of the Senate, securing 50 seats with the Georgia runoff scheduled in December that could add one more. The president was blunt in assessing his party's dwindling chances of winning the House, saying Monday there would not be enough Democratic votes to codify Roe v. Wade, the decision on a woman's right to choose that was overturned by the Supreme Court earlier this year. I don't think they can expect much of anything other than we're going to maintain our positions. I'm not going to get into more questions. I shouldn't even answer your question. No, 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 I don't think that, I, I, I don't think there's enough votes to codify unless something happens unusual in the House. I think we're going to get very close in the House, but I don't, I think it's going to be very close, but I don't think we're going to make it. If the GOP regains control, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy would be in line to replace Nancy Pelosi as Speaker. That may be a controversial pick with the GOP caucus, including members who back former President Trump's claims the 2020 election was stolen. Representative Matt Gates of Florida renewed his support for Representative Jim Jordan, a founder of the Freedom Caucus and a previous challenger to McCarthy for the gavel. And in another blow to Trump-supporting Republicans, Democrat Katie Hobbs was elected governor of Arizona on Monday, defeating Trump ally Carrie Lake, who has also questioned the balloting, refusing to say she's going to accept the results. In related news, Trump and some of his biggest supporters have been deflecting blame for the GOP's poor showing last week onto Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Senator Ted Cruz said McConnell has put his career before a Senate majority, and Josh Hawley of Missouri has called for getting rid of McConnell. McConnell, for his part, says the disappointing election was the result of a divided country. Last week's midterm elections reconfirmed something that's been clear for a number of years. When it comes to politics and to policy, we are a closely divided nation. But the third straight election, our closely divided nation, saw a closely fought election go all the way down to the wire. And as the dust settles for the third straight time, 
the American people have chosen a very closely divided government. Though several races for the House of Representatives remain uncalled, it appears the likeliest outcome would mean the American people have put a stop to two years of Democrats' disastrous one-party government and placed the House in Republican hands. And anti-Trump Representative Liz Cheney, who lost a primary bid after calling for Trump's impeachment, says the Republicans lost because most refused to condemn the January 6th assault on the Capitol. After January 6th, the party should clearly have said that is a line that can't be crossed and should clearly have said, you know, we're not going to be in a position where we're embracing insurrection or excusing it or whitewashing it. I thought that was obvious and certainly most elected officials in my party did not do that. People talk about Donald Trump these days as the biggest loser. And that's true if you look at the record from 2018, from 2020, from the special election in 2021, from 2022. So I think that's an important point. I also think though that as a party we need to be clear that we would not be we should not be embracing him even if he were a winner because what he's, what he's doing and what he advocates is so dangerous. Wyoming Republican Liz Cheney. And authorities in Charlottesville, Virginia are saying a University of Virginia student and former member of the school's football team fatally shot three current players as they returned from a field trip. Officials got word during a morning news briefing that the suspect, 22-year-old Christopher Darnell Jones Jr., had been arrested. Police Chief Timothy Longo. In fact, in September of 2022, our Office of Student Affairs reported to the multidisciplinary threat assessment team that Mr. Jones, they received information that Mr. Jones had made a comment about possessing a gun to a person that was unaffiliated with the university. In other words, a third party. That reporting person, again, unaffiliated with the university, to the best of our knowledge, never saw a gun. The comment about Mr. Jones owning a gun was not made in conjunction with any threats. The Office of Student Affairs followed up with the reporting person and made efforts to contact Mr. Jones. In fact, they followed up with Mr. Jones' roommate, who did not report seeing the presence of a weapon. Pardon me. Thank you, Captain. We just received information the suspect is in custody. Need a moment to thank God. <laughs> Breathe a sigh of relief. Mr. Jones uh, also had come to the attention of our threat assessment team because he was involved in a, a hazing investigation of some sort. I don't know the facts and circumstances of that investigation. I know that uh, it was eventually closed uh, due to uh, witnesses that would not cooperate with the process. 
But through the course of the threat assessment team's investigation, we learned of a prior criminal incident involving a concealed weapon violation that occurred outside the city of Charlottesville in February of 2021. What's interesting about that case is he's, he's required as a student at the University of Virginia to report that, and he never did. And so the university has taken appropriate administrative charges through the university's Judiciary Council, and that matter is still pending adjudication. I thought it important to share that information with you. Police say Jones was taken into custody without incident in suburban Richmond. Jones came to the attention of the university's threat assessment team this fall after a person unaffiliated with the school reported a remark Jones apparently made about possessing a gun. The violence erupted near a parking garage just after 10.15 p.m. on Sunday as a charter bus full of students returned to Charlottesville from seeing a play in Washington. And closer to home, in local election news, Democrats had a big night as usual in New York City last Tuesday. There were few, if any, surprises. A few more Republicans seemed to be voting in South Brooklyn than usual, and crime in the economy proved to be potent issues. There was a single-issue party on the ballot, focusing on the issues of mandates or vaccinations and masks that riled up the city during the worst days of COVID. The Medical Freedom Party fielded eight candidates for the Assembly, State, Senate, and Congress. The party says it's a coalition of those who have fought the mandates and believes the individual is endowed by his or her creator with the inalienable right to bodily autonomy. Their candidate, who did the best, was a political gadfly and homeless advocate, Eric Rossi, He's been taking to the bullhorn in city parks decrying what he claims is a conspiracy to take away basic rights under the cover of COVID. Last Saturday, Rossi, who got 2,526 votes, more than 4% against incumbent Brian Kavanaugh in the 27th New York State Senate District, was back at it with a bullhorn in Tompkins Square Park. We need to react to this. We need to say no, no more of these vaccines, no more of this injection, no more of these mandates, no more new viruses coming along, no more new variants. You want to talk about a new variant? What happened to the variants? I haven't heard about them lately. Aren't there still variants out there? What happened? Well, they stopped talking about it. Somebody said, how are you going to stop the COVID crisis? Turn off the TV, okay? Turn off the TV, no more crisis. Turn it back on, the crisis will come back. And that is how you can control your crises, whether you want to hear about them or not. Rossi says there's an ulterior motive behind the COVID mandates. It is a planned operation that was a psychological warfare uh, plan that was launched upon the entire planet. That's been obvious for the past two and a half, three years now. That's the first step to understanding what is really going on. It had a very low death rate. It was not a dangerous virus to the general public. Everything they said about the vaccines was a lie. Everything about the mandates was totally unjustified. They Are you do vaccinated? not trade. You do not know. I Are am not. No, absolutely not. Would, well, you, would they, never if take. If they force you to get vaccinated, if they said you couldn't. They work, will never or, force me to get vaccinated. They said you couldn't work. You'd be fired from your job. You wouldn't get a license. You need to work. Uh, all of a sudden, you'd have. Well, that's it. That, that, that's the reason for the Medical Freedom Party. We have to get rid of these people making these preposterous statements based on absolutely no science whatsoever and complete illogic. Illogic. Like you take a vaccine to prevent you from transmitting. You take something that doesn't prevent transmission in order to prevent transmission. It's insanity. These people are. Are, are simply straight up lying to your face. And so, they're, they're so committing are you a incredible, party? incredible treason on this country. 
But Rossi bristles at being labeled a one-issue candidate. A self-professed anarchist, Rossi was almost embarrassed by his showing. He insists the lack of housing in New York is at the root of the city's problems. You have the right to go out in a park and yell. That's freedom of speech. But you also have the right to land in housing. You have an inalienable fundamental right to land in housing as a birthright, uh, as a human being. So that's the kind of thing that I would like to bring forward now and in, 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 on into the future. And so just to wrap up, how many votes you get? Uh, 2,500. Was that a lot? That seemed like uh, about 5%. 5%? Yeah, but I didn't have the time to run a campaign. One thing I found out was if you want to run one of these campaigns, you have to have two months free time. Okay. Otherwise, it's very hard to organize it. Did but I did. I did. I was, I was able to. How did you to, get 2,500 uh, votes? Uh, I think a lot of it was a protest vote. They, they, don't want, they don't want their usual fare, you know, the usual guys. Uh, they don't want to see the same old, same old, uh, you know, so they see me and they go, okay, well, we'll vote for medical you, you know, whatever, but we need, we need to bring into, yeah, to see medical freedom. A lot of people did vote because they know that they've been under medical tyranny for the past three years. Eric Rossi was a candidate of the Medical Freedom Party for state senate in Manhattan. The party fielded eight candidates and totaled more than 6,000 votes. Rossi got about 2,500 of those. And that's the news for Tuesday morning, November 15, 2022. The news was written and produced by this reporter. You can catch the news at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.